Today we have studied a new series on heaven. The first lesson was on a literal heaven. The second lesson last Sunday was a aspect of heaven or a view of heaven, paradise, the garden of God. This morning we're going to view heaven from a different aspect or perspective, the house of the Father or the Father's house. Okay? So in John chapter 13, if you would turn there in your Bibles, John 13, and verse 36, John 13, 36, amen. The Father's house, heaven is known as the Father's house. John 13, 36, Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? He knew. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The clock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Verse 1 of chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then show us the Father? Verse 18, he says, I will not leave you comfortless or orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. 
Lord, I just thank you right now for your awesome promise. Your spirit, God, that indwells us. We thank you, Lord, for the promise that you will come and receive us unto yourself, Father, that we may live with you forever physically and literally in an ultimate sense. We thank you, Father, that heaven is known as Father's house. And, Father, you go there to prepare a place for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In these verses, heaven is likened unto Father's house, the domain of God, the residence of God. It is not that God just owns this place, but He resides in that place. You can have a house that you own doesn't mean that you live there. But God lives in this house. And the scripture tells us Simon Peter is concerned because Jesus has spoken to him about the fact that he's going to die. And this separation that's going to take place is trouble Peter and the rest of the disciples. They want to be able to follow the Lord where he's going. They want to be with the Lord. They don't want that separation. They don't want that loneliness. It's created a problem. It's created trouble in them. It has agitated them. And they're cast down. They're discouraged about that. So Jesus is going to encourage his disciples by telling them that he is going away physically. But he says in chapter 14, verse 1, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let it be full of anxiety. Don't let it be cast down. Don't let it be like a troubled sea. Don't be saddened. Don't be agitated. He says, don't let your heart get in that place. He said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. So he's number one, he's showing you that he is equal with God. He's not second in the Godhead. He's equal with God. If you believe in God, believe also in me. Then he talks about, he says, in my father's house. And it almost sounds like he's talking about somebody else. But here in John 14, he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. So ultimately, this is the house of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the father. In his humanity, he is son. But in his deity, he is father. But he makes a reference here. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Really, that's sort of a, not a good translation. We get it in the King James Version because of Tyndall's translation. And he got it from the Latin Vulgate. So they brought it over into the English. Here in the King James Version, he calls it, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions, but really it is dwelling places or abiding places. It's Monet in the Greek. Father's house, house, orkia, and then mansions or abiding places. So we have Father's house, but it's not a bunch of different mansions. It's one huge palace of the king where the sons of the king live and in this huge house of the father this huge palace are these many dwelling places in father's house the king james version calls them mansions and it sounds like that everybody's going to have a, a separate mansion 
But that's not the way the Word teaches. It teaches us there's one house, it's Father's house, and in that house are many dwelling places. Okay? We talked about the paradise of God. We talked about how beautiful it is going to be, like a beautiful forest, a beautiful garden of God last Sunday. But in the middle of that paradise of God, in the middle of that beautiful garden, is the house of God. The house of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrounded by that beautiful paradise. This huge, huge palace. This huge house has many, many places in it. You don't have to worry about it getting crowded. It's plenty big enough for everybody to be there. In fact, we'll see it's called Jerusalem, the city of heaven. We have the house of heaven. But next week we'll talk about Jerusalem, the city of heaven. And it gives the dimensions of this city. And it says that it's approximately 1,500 miles in either direction and 1,500 miles high. Just a little bit under 1,400 specifically. But if 10 billion people were to live there to show you the size of this house, Father's house, if 10 billion, 10 billion people were occupants there, everybody there would have a house or a dwelling place of 14 square miles with a ceiling of 100 foot high. Now, I don't know of any house in this earth that's 14 miles square and 100 feet high. And that's if 10 billion people are, are going to be there, that's how big the smallest place is going to be. You understand? I mean, that is awesome to me. So it's not going to be a crowded place. And the Bible says, Father's house, Jesus is going to prepare a place for you in Father's house. Amen. Now, that does not mean that after his resurrection that he got his hammer out as the carpenter and started building this house with his physical hands. Father's house was prepared before the foundation of the world. You with me? God built that house. It's a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens so Jesus didn't when he rose from the dead go over there and start building your mansion or your dwelling place it wasn't made with hands he as God created it before the foundation of the world it's always existed in God then he created it so it wasn't made with hands it is eternal in the heavens amen father's house are y'all with me so far? So when it says in Father's house that he went to prepare a place for us, how did he prepare a place for us in heaven or Father's house? How did Jesus do that? Well, by his death, burial, and resurrection, he prepared a place for us. It's not that he was building the thing. It was already built. You understand? The way he prepared it was he went to the cross, died for you. You with me? Amen. With his blood, he rose from the dead, then filled you with his spirit. So now he's building the church 
but he's prepared a house for the church to go to. And the way he's prepared that place, that abiding place, that dwelling place in Father's house is by his finished work, by his blood. Because the context here of everything that's going on, uh, John 13 through 17 is the Last Supper. This is just before he's going to go and die on a cross to save us. So he's not preparing it physically. It was already created. It is a house made without hands eternal in the heavens. He prepared it by dying for us and making a place in Father's house for us by his death, burial, and resurrection. Are you getting it now? Do you understand? Now, as to when he rose from the dead and he ascended up into Father's house as Father, you know, God in flesh, sitting on a throne there, I don't know what, you know, all that includes, that preparation process includes, but I know that by the finished work, which was going to take place shortly after this meal that he's having with him, that by that is the way he prepared the place for us. You get, you understand? Now, what he did after he got there, the order that he set up there to get ready to receive the participants of that house, I don't know. But I know he didn't build it with hammer and nails. I know that. Because it already existed before he came, God in flesh, and then died for us, and then went back to prepare that place for us. Are you with me so far? Okay, now I'm not saying you have to believe me. Some of y'all, you know, you think Jesus got a hammer nail out there and he's up there and he built this, you know, gold nails or whatever. I don't know what you think, but maybe, you know, that's the way you look at it. But that's not a reality. Look at your neighbor and say this. It was made without hands. You with me? It dwelt in eternity. It was already there. So then if he didn't have to go there and make the thing, then the way he prepared it for us was he made a place for us by his work so that we could be the residents of that house. You understand? Praise God. Now, that's how he prepared the place. But again, once he got up there, everything that he had to put in order, I don't know. I mean, because the Bible doesn't tell me. It doesn't tell you how he ultimately, you know, the final thing, everything he did to prepare the place. But I know what is going to allow me to get there. Because you would not have a right to Father's house if Jesus didn't pay for it. See, somebody got to pay for the house. Somebody's got to pay for the house. Somebody's got to pay for the fact that you can live there. Somebody had to pay the debt. And his blood was the debt that was paid. He paid the debt with his blood. And he rose from the dead. And that was the receipt to the place. His blood paid the debt. And his resurrection was the receipt. It's the guarantee. So I don't have to worry about a mortgage. I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to worry about security. Because he already paid the debt for the house. And then he gave me the receipt at resurrection and he said not only are you going to be a guest there you're going to be a resident there because he has gone to prepare a place in that house that was already made without hands eternal in the heavens you understand 
beautiful place God has prepared for us. Amen. So he tells them, he's trying to encourage his disciples. He's letting them know, yes, he's going to die and be crucified. And he's going to be physically separated from them. But he says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't get agitated. Don't get cast down. Don't get discouraged. He said, because I'm going to go to Father's house You can't come with me right now, but you will follow me. You will come. You will be in this literal house where where there are literal dwelling places, abiding places there. You can't go there now, but you will in the future go there. Are you with me right now? Say amen. amen. If you understand. So he says, in my father's house. Now I wonder what it's like in father's house. See, it is a literal place. Now, let me just show this to you. In verse 23, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, in, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come in unto him and make our abode with him. The word that is translated mansions in verse 2 is the same Greek word that is translated abode in verse 23. So some people say, well, look, it is the church that his father's house It's the church that is his abiding place. And that's true. Because right now, he moved into us and you are Father's house. You with me? In a spiritual sense. So they say the literal Father's house does not exist. That you are Father's house. Now, I've taught you. Now, you understand these things because I've taught it to you before. That it does have a spiritual teaching for us that we are father's house and in father's house are many dwelling places many abiding places many dimensions in the spirit okay many levels in the spirit many dimensions in the spirit and he resides in us but he is using the literal ultimate physical house material house you with me to illustrate what we have in the spirit. Do you understand? He uses the material, literal house, Father's house, to illustrate, not to be an illusion, but to be an illustration of it. So where I'm going to in an ultimate sense, this literal place called Father's house is an illustration of what I have in the spirit, in God. Many dimensions, many levels, many layers, many ranks in the Spirit. You are Father's house. Jesus is building His church right now. And when He moves inside of you, you become His dwelling place. You become the house of God. But there's going to come a time when you're going to follow Him into the literal house that God built before the foundation of the world. And it's just as real as this earth. It's much more beautiful than anything you've ever seen. It's a trillion times larger than any any structure that the earth has ever seen. But it's a literal place that is an illustration of something that is spiritual. You are His abiding place. So the word mansion should be translated the same way as verse 23 translated, abiding place or dwelling place. So now God has come inside of me. You are the domain of God. You are the house of God. You are where he resides. He dwells in you by his spirit. So I can teach this in a spiritual way, but I'm trying to go literal because that's what it is ultimately. 
That literal house that is there, that material house that is there, that physical thing that he God created before the foundation of the world, not with hands, but eternal in the heavens is a real, literal place that ultimately we will follow Jesus to. He's going to come back and get us. You with me? He's not going to send, when he comes in the rapture, he's not going to send an angel to come. He's not going to say, go get them and bring them to the house. He's going to come himself. And he's going to lead you into that eternal residence where you and I will dwell forever and ever and ever and ever throughout eternity. So he's going to come back. So we're talking about the, the urkomai, the, the parousia. When Jesus comes back, the literal, the word here is urkomai. It is when he comes back literally and raptures the church out. He's going to come himself. Now watch, if you die before that time, angels escort your spirit, your soul into that place. You with me? But if you, listen, when he comes back, it says when he comes, Urkoma, that's when he's going to take you to Father's house, literally. If you die, he's going to send angels to escort you. If you don't die, and he comes and raptures you, you may not see death, he's going to come himself. If you, if you die today, your spirit goes to be with God, but your body's going to go in the grave awaiting the resurrection of the dead. And then he's going to come back and resurrect your body, reunite your spirit with your body, and bring you into Father's house, that literal, eternal domain of God, our residence. The Bible calls it a kingdom. The Bible calls it a country. The Bible calls it a city. The Bible calls it a house. The Bible calls it our inheritance. And that is our hope. So when you, you need to understand that verse 23, the word abode there, when Jesus said we will come and make our abode, you with me? It's the same word that's used in verse 2, but it's translated mansions there. So what we have here, we have the literal ultimate house of the Father. Then we find out how to get there. And then we find out what we do in the meantime. And what we do in the meantime is we become Father's house in the earth, full of the Spirit of God. Do you understand this? So he's coming to you with encouragement today. Now some of you may have lost your family members and your loved ones. But there's going to come a time that in Father's house, there's going to be a big family reunion. A huge, huge family reunion. That is if your, your family were right with God. Amen. Huge family reunion. Maybe you lost a little child somehow. You're going to see that baby. You're going to see that baby. Maybe if grandma or grandpa, they were in God, you're going to see them again. And you're going to know them just like you, you know them today. You're going to have a knowledge that they were a part of your earthly family. Your family will be expanded there, but you will recognize them and you will say, you are a part of my earthly family down there. But now, look, we're a part of a huge family. It's expanded. It's larger than what it used to be. This is the Father's house. And this is the family of God. This is his residence, and we're going to be there with him. And all those family members that have preceded us 
in death. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that a wonderful promise? And when you get there, you just look at the celebration that's going to be there. He's sitting right here. He is in the process of eating a supper with them. You know what that's a picture of? It shows you there's going to come a time. He said he's going to eat it with you in the kingdom. And somebody said, well, pastor, when you get to heaven, are you going to be able to eat? Yes. Because this is a type. This is a type of what's going to be going on in Father's house. You're going to sit down. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you're going to sit down at that huge, huge banqueting table that the Father, that Jesus has made and prepared for you. And you're going to eat literal, physical food. Not because you're hungry, but because you enjoy fellowship. And somebody say, are you sure about that? Yeah. Jesus, when he rose from the dead with a resurrection body, sat down and ate. Broke bread, ate wild, you know, honeycomb and, and bread. He took it into his body, even though he was resurrected. So you know what? It's going to be wonderful. So Jesus is showing them right now. He's having a supper with them. He's saying, hey, this is, what, this is just a picture of what it's going to be like when we get over there. We're going to have a big old celebration. We're going to have a banquet. We're all going to get together as a big old family. We're going to have a family reunion. Woo. And we're going to have a meal together. Marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat. We're going to fellowship. You with me so far? But Father's house doesn't just speak to you about a, a literal physical place. It talks about that He is Father. That He, come on, there is the, He is the progenerator. He is the one who is, there's a family involved here. If you call Him Father, that means you are a son of His. Which means you have been born to Him. You have been born again of the water and the Spirit. So when you talk about Father's house, you're talking about the inhabitants that are there. Those who have been born to Father. Those who have the progeneration of the Father. Are you with me today? Woo, give God some praise. Now, when I get there, hopefully I see some of my loved ones. I'm not sure where all of them are. But hopefully I, I get the opportunity to see some of them, you know. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a wonderful celebration. It's going to be a time of feasting. It's, you just look at it. You look at Remember the prodigal son? Prodigal son, you know. He went on a far journey. He went away from the father, the father's house. He left. And when he came back to the house of father, you know what the father did? The father, Abba, Abba, father. He saw him at a distance and he went out and immediately met him and he escorted him back into the house. And the fellowship was there. Come on, they were united and it was physical. And you know what they did? You know what the father did? Man, they killed the fatted calf. They had a big old feast. Yeah, you're going to have a big old feast. Gonna kill the fatted calf. Not only that, but there's an extra robe and there's a ring. Come on, somebody. And there's singing and there's dancing in that place. There's a choir that's there and there's an orchestra that is playing there. When you get there, it's gonna be a big party. So, right now, you know, we are his house and we're having a good old time and we participated in his table spiritually, you know, experienced the fatted calf, and we sing, and we dance, and we celebrate. But can you imagine that day when you are literally, physically present with the Father, and you see him face to face, 
and you sat down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you participated in this huge marriage supper of the Lamb, and all the singing and the robes. And yeah, I know we get into stuff here, but robes and all kinds of stuff, choir singing and the orchestra playing, and all this is going on. And at the same time, the aromas of the paradise are whoo, making their way into that place. And it's just an awesome time that we're going to have. Now, let's look at Isaiah 25. Are you looking forward to heaven? God's a good God. Beautiful God. I want to see him face to face. Now, Isaiah 25. Let's start in verse 6. And in the mountains shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things. God's going to make a feast of fat things. A feast of wines. Now, if you want to go back and look at Luke 15, you'll kind of get a glimpse of what goes on in Father's house. But in the prophet, he says, he's going to make a feast. Unto all people, a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. He will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He's going to take the curtain away. Ooh, man, I, I wish I had time to get into that. He will swallow up death in victory. Hmm. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Can I tell you something? The grave, listen, it's got it. A bee only has one stinger. And once it stings, it can't sting anymore. And a bee, all it can do after it stung you is fly around you and try to torment you. But let me tell you something. Come on. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Come on. Jesus took it at the cross right there. And he's promised to us, come on, the sting of death has been taken out. So he says, he will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Now, how's he going to do that? Well, I'll talk to you about that later on in, in another lesson. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. It shall be said in that day. Watch this. Who's going to say it? They're going to say, Lo, that, this is our God. They're going to point the finger. This is our God. I believe, see, let me tell you, this is real to me. And I believe it's real to you. There's going to come a time when this great feast is taking place. The people are going to be dancing and celebrating. And participate in this face. And they're going to look at and say, there's our God. That's our God. Jesus is his name. He's our Father. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. There he is. As they celebrate. Now watch. It shall be said in that day, Lord, this is our God. We have waited for him. Yes. Yeah. And he will save us. This, yeah, by the work of the cross. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And the word rejoice means to spin around and to dance. So you're going to be dancing. You're going to be celebrating. Just like in Father's house when the prodigal came back. They were dancing. They were singing. They were celebrating. The choir's going on. The big old fat cap is killed. 
Ooh, we're going to have a great time. It's not because you're hungry. You don't have to eat, but you get to eat. Give God some praise. Yeah. See, heaven's not going to be a boring place. It's not going. In fact, it's not going to. This, you know, it's not. A, it's not going to be a, an ongoing church service, where you start at hymn one and go all the way to the end of the hymns in the hymn book. It's not the way it's going to be. Yes, you will worship Him and you will serve Him in that place. But there's so much going on there in celebration. You're going to have a party like you've never seen in your life. And God, Jesus, is going to throw the party. Amen. God is beautiful, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, see, some people have this idea they're going to float around a cloud. No activity, you know, board, church service. Always, come on, man. That, we're going to have church service. We're going to worship God. We're going to serve Him. We're going to praise Him. But that's not all we're going to be doing. You're going to be involved. If you're the sons of the King, if you're the sons of the Father, you're going to be involved in serving Him. You're going to have occupations that are assigned to you. I don't know what all they're going to be, but any, in any palace where you have a King and King's sons, there's activities involved in serving that King. Give God some praise. So yes, I'm going to worship Him, and yes, I'm going to praise Him, and I'm going to say, this is my God, and I'm going to dance, and I'm going to sing, and I'm going to praise Him, and the angels are going to be there. And thunder and lightning and an earthquake is going to be all there. But I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be an exciting, exciting place. One of the, uh, the sons of one of the men who got speared in Ecuador. Y'all remember those five men who were speared in Ecuador. Uh, what is the son's name? Huh? Anyway, the, the Steve, Steve is his first name. Uh, uh, Saint, yeah. Stephen Saint. They said, Steve, they told Stephen Saint that these, I'm talking about these pagan uh, uh, tribes that speared his father and the other four. If you've seen the movie, and I've seen the movie, they told Steve Saint. That when his father and those four other missionaries were being speared in Ecuador, dying, they told Steve Saint that they saw angels in the treetops. Amen. That's what those heathens said. They saw the angels there getting ready to escort them into father's house. But not only that, not only that, but there was a young woman that was in the distance and she was hiding when all of that was going on. And she didn't know what she heard. But she heard music when they were being killed. And it wasn't until later in, in her life when she heard a Christian choir sing that she said, that's what I heard when they were spearing the missionaries. I heard the song of heaven and it sounds just like this Christian choir. Give God some praise. 
If you die before Jesus comes, there's going to be an angel that escorts you in the Father's house. And there's going to be singing and, and, come on, celebration and dancing. We're talking about in an ultimate sense here. When he comes back and he resurrects the body. Are you here today? Oh, yeah. Well, somebody might say, well, Pastor... Right now, what are they doing in heaven? What are they doing? They're in Father's house. Their spirit, their soul is with God. But do you know that they have the ability to see right now? They don't have to have the physical body right now. They have the ability to see. They have the ability to hear right now. They have the ability to be clothed right now. They experience emotion right now without their physical body. Their soul, their spirit has a, sh- a body shape of some kind and the characteristics of a body of some kind before you ever get the resurrection body. How do I know that? Because even the rich man who died and was, w- w- was taken into Hades, he could see and he could hear and he could feel. Come on, somebody. In Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9, let's look at the redeemed of the Lord. Their spirit going up into the house of the Father. Their soul. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Revelation 6, he says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, remember, these are the martyrs of Jesus, or for Jesus. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them. Say, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood? See, they have emotion there. They have feeling there. They're asking for justice to take place. He says in verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them. How do you clothe a soul or a spirit if it doesn't have a body shape of some kind? They're experiencing emotions and thoughts and expressions and expressing the need for justice. And now the Bible says white robes are given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. The Bible talks about it. If you look, see you don't just go over there. You're going to soul sleep. The Bible talks about Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is before the death and resurrection of Jesus. So they haven't been resurrected bodily. But there they are and you can look at them and you can say that's Moses and that's Elijah. So their spirit or their soul has some kind of body shape. You can say, you don't have to ask. You know that's Moses. That's Elijah. We we can see them. And then ultimately, when the resurrection takes place, when Jesus comes back and resurrects the body, the physical body, that spirit's going to be reunited. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13, it talks about he's going to bring the spirits of the dead that are in him. He's going to bring them back, and they're going to be reunited with their bodies. As those bodies are resurrected, they're going to be reunited in the air. And now they're going to have a glorified body, a spiritual body like Jesus but it's still even though it's a spiritual body it's a physical real body because when Jesus rose from the dead you can still touch him you can still handle him you can still see him 
He didn't have blood. He didn't have blood, but he still had flesh and he still had bones. So you could still touch the resurrection body. Give God some praise. So when you get to heaven, if you die before he comes and resurrects your body, come on somebody, then you're going to see some of your loved ones, some of your family members, and you're going to recognize them although they have not received a resurrection body you're going to say hey there's that baby that died at birth when I had a miscarriage there's my baby right there some people say well pastor what kind of body do the children have how do they look right now if they died as little babies what do they look like pastor I don't know because I've never been there I don't know if the babies, uh, if you had a baby and, and you're going to see him in eternity. I don't know if they grow into full grownness or not. I can't tell you that because I've never been there. It's possible that they will grow into full grownness and maturity. It's possible that when you get there, you will see that baby and you'll watch that baby grow. God may allow you to see that baby grow because what is 30 years in the light of eternity? Maybe God will let you see that little baby and hold that little baby in your arms. And over a period of time, you watch that little baby grow and grow and grow until it becomes a mature adult. I don't know. I've never been there. I'm just giving you possibility here. It may be that God will leave that baby. I'm not, I don't really think so. But it may be he'll leave that baby or that child and that level. But there will be no second class citizens in heaven. They'll have all the faculties they need. Come on, are you with me right now? Praise God. Give God some praise. You know the Bible talks about Jesus is a shepherd. And when a shepherd ascends into the high places a shepherd will gather the little ones into his arms and he will carry the little ones in his arms up into the mountains and there following behind is mom and dad the older sheep give God some praise so I don't know what, what your baby might look like I don't know how old it will be I don't know how mature it will be I don't know what you, but God is so perfect. He's so wonderful. When you have that family reunion, you're going to know, that's my baby. If they're older, you're going to know, that's my baby. How do I know babies are there in heaven? How do I know that? Well, pastor, what if those, those babies, they never got baptized in Jesus' name, and they, they never got filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, pastor, and they died at birth, some of them, and some of them died at 6, 7, maybe 10, 11 years old. What happened to them, pastor? Did they go to heaven? I believe they did. Because the Bible said, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. You remember David, King David. You know the sin he committed with Bathsheba. And Bathsheba gave birth to David's son. But the baby died, and I believe it was for seven days while the baby was still alive. That David prayed and fasted God, asking God to revive the baby. But the baby was not revived. The baby died. And David got up, and he walked back into the palace. He wasn't sad. He wasn't sorrowful. It shocked the, the people in the palace that he wasn't sad. Why aren't you sad, David? David said this. He said, he can't come to me. He's gone into 
beyond the curtain. He's gone on to the other side. He can't come to me, but David said, I will go to him. Listen, that baby never professed faith. That baby never exercised its will in towards God. But God, evidently, he waived the need for children's profession of faith. And God credited their sin nature to Calvary's cross. But because they're not able and capable of understanding their need to make a profession or to be born again, then I believe God understands that. And I believe there was an age of accountability before that's necessary. God just waves that. He had to. He had to. Because David's baby had a sin nature. But David's baby was located in Father's house. So David is not sad because he knows that someday he's going to be reunited with his son. He said, I know I'm going to see him. But if you look on the other hand, you'll see David. In another experience in his life, 2 Samuel chapter 18, the scripture tells us that Absalom, his son, was slain in battle. And David, with uncontrolled grief, began to cry out. Are you with me? My son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom. Would God that I had done for, died for you, Absalom, my son, my son. They could not comfort King David when Absalom died because David did not know where Absalom went. But if you know where your family goes... It's a celebration. And grief is not the absence of faith. Jesus lamented at the grave of Lazarus, his friend. Come on, somebody. Jesus wept. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. So grief is not the absence of faith. Give God some praise. But we don't look at death the same way the world looks at it. We are not a people that is hopeless. We are people full of hope. We're going to go to Father's house. And there's going to be a glorious reunion with the family members in that place. He's a glorious God. He's an awesome God. Give God some praise. I love him today. And I'm looking forward. You know. We're not hopeless people. We're people full of hope, full, full of life. We are, we, right, he's going to prepare a place for us right now. We're getting prepared for that prepared place. Your whole life down here, should the purpose of this life is to make sure you're prepared for that prepared place. That's why you're put here in this earth to serve God faithfully, to be prepared for that place. Oh, hallelujah. You know, there's a, there's a, a well-known poet by the name of William Shakespeare. History book in the, a history book in the light of Christianity. Or a history book with a perspective of Christianity makes this statement. It says, my little girl's got it on her desk. I know I read it last night. It says about Shakespeare that 
that no other writer in history, no other writings in history with the exception of the Bible, has influenced the world like William Shakespeare. Come on. History from a Christian perspective says that. Are you with me right now? Language has been affected by his writings. He asked questions like, what's in a name? Come on, somebody. He made other statements. He, he wrote a play about Hamlet. And you know what? Hamlet, Hamlet was a, a pessimist. He, didn't, he wasn't right with God. He didn't know God as far as I know. And in that play of Hamlet, you know what he said? He made a statement. He said, to be or not to be, that is the question. And everybody's heard that statement before. But you know why he made that statement or asked that question? To be or not to be, that is the question. Because Hamlet was contemplating suicide. His soul was troubled. His soul was agitated. His soul was like a troubled sea. And he didn't want to live anymore. But he was caught in a conflict. He called the world beyond an undiscovered country. Jesus. An undiscovered country. And he said, those born there, the, travel will never, the traveler will never return. So he was afraid that if he committed suicide, that he would go into that undiscovered country and it would not be what he expected it to be. So for him, he said, you know what? Life or to live is to lose. To die is to lose. Because I don't know what's on the other side. But Paul said it this way. He said, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Hamlet wanted rest from his troubled soul. He wanted rest from his agitation. He wanted rest from his cast down position. But he said, I don't know what's on the other side in that undiscovered country. So for him, it was all a loss. Not for the Christian. We're not like Hamlet. We don't say to be or not to be. That is the question. We say we're going to live. To live is Christ and to die is gain. We can go to the other side. Have an assurance that Father's house is there. See, I believe this with all my heart. Jesus said, let not your, uh, your hearts be like an agitated sea, a troubled sea, cast down without hope. If I could put it this way, don't be like Hamlet that said to be or not to be. That is the question. But it's an undiscovered country that born there the traveler will not return. So he didn't want to die because he didn't know what was on the other side. It was all a loss for him. But not for the saint of God. Not for the family members of God Almighty. We have a hope. Give God some praise in the house. Well, Jesus. We're traveling through a wilderness. On our way to the house of the Father. So he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Come on, somebody. Yeah, God is awesome. He says, 
in my father's house are many mansions. You know, in John 2, he talked about his father's house, the temple. He called the temple his father's house. Revelation says there's not going to be a temple in heaven, but in Revelation chapter 11, it talks about a temple. So these things are going to be swallowed up into an ultimate. There's no contradiction. It's going to be swallowed up into an ultimate thing. Say amen. Amen. The Father's house was supposed to be a place of prayer and a place of worship and a place of communion with the Father. But they had made it into a den of thieves. And so Jesus comes along and he says, he no longer after a time, he doesn't call it Father's house. He said, your house is left unto you desolate. Because you have rejected Jesus. Now it's your house and your house is desolate. Give God some praise in this place. Now you become the temple of the living God. You become the house of the living God now. And you are involved in worshiping and serving the Lord now. But of ultimately you will follow him literally and physically in Father's house. And there you will be with your family members in celebration. Beautiful God, I love you today. Jesus is an awesome God. I really have a hard time with some Christians because they live a life as though they have no hope. They live as Hamlet lives. They look at life the way Hamlet looks at life. But not for the Christian. We are on our way to Father's house. So don't let your heart be troubled. The sting of death has been conquered by Jesus on the cross. And because of that, he leads us through the wilderness on the way to the Jerusalem of God. Give God praise. Woo, Jesus. So Simon Peter said in verse 13, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Whither I go, thou canst not follow me now. But thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. In chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. He's equal with God. In my Father's house are many abiding places, dwelling places. It's his residence. It's the domain of God. Literally, Monet, it is the place where people remain. It is a place of remaining. Abiding place. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. God always prepares a place for his people. He always does. He always goes ahead. He's the forerunner, the Bible says. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about we have an anchor. Come on. We have an anchor of the soul, Jesus Christ. The righteous who's passed beyond the veil. We've got an anchor. It's secure. He's the forerunner. He's gone before us. He's the forerunner. You know what a forerunner is? It's somebody that goes before you on a ship. Your big old ship is traveling through the troubled waters. And here comes a little tugboat out of the harbor. And that little tugboat is the forerunner. It grabs a hold of your lines of your big troubled ship. And it drags you to the harbor, to the shore. 
And then there's another forerunner. He jumps out of the boat and he ties the rope around the dock, securing that ship to the shore there. He's a forerunner. So Jesus called the forerunner. He's going before you to prepare a place. He's going to bring your ship in, your troubled ship. He's going to bring it in. He's going to secure it to the dock. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. His resurrection guarantees my resurrection. Because he lives, I shall live also. And everybody gets caught up in the questions. What if? What if? See, you see things from the human side. And then you have to see things from, the, from God's side. What if? If only, Jesus, if only you had come, now Lazarus is dead. If only. No, it was in God's providence. See, you see it from human eyes. God sees it from his viewpoint. It was God's providence. If only, Jesus, you had come, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? People go through life. If only we had made this turn. If only they had turned this direction. If only we would have known the ice was there. If only we would have done this differently. If only we would have left a minute earlier or a minute later. If only they had done that, they would not have wrecked. Come on. But they see it from the viewpoint of humanity. God told Obosai, you got to see it from the viewpoint of God. God has arranged everything in his providence. You see it as an accident. God sees it as a well orchestrated plan give God some praise well they were murdered by evil men so was Jesus but Jesus died at the exact hour he was supposed to die come on somebody it wasn't an accident even though he was killed by criminal hands it was the appointment of God from the viewpoint of man, it was evil men that did that. But from God's viewpoint, it was his orchestrated thing. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I'm trying to help you understand something. You know, you've got to get rid of some of the false guilt that some of you carry around with you. But, Pastor, I'm the one that influenced them. I'm the one that pressured them to get in that car and to go to that place. And if I had not influenced them, they would have not erect. You need to understand the providence of God. Listen, I have preached young children's funeral. A young girl's funeral. And I preached the rite of passage. And this man had just recently married this woman. Can you imagine the if onlys that were going through his mind? If only I had not married her because his wife is the one that was driving when the wreck took place. And the little girl was taken into eternity just like that. And I guarantee you that this, this false guilt was there. And this struggle was there. If only I had not married her. If only, come on somebody. If only we'd have done something different that day. All these if onlys. But you need to understand. You're seeing it from human side. God sees it. He orchestrated every bit of it. The event. You know why you didn't leave a minute earlier or a minute later? Because God was in charge of it. And you need to see death as a, watch this. You need to see death as a minister and not as a monster. Because death is your escort in the Father's house. 
Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? You get it? You understand what I'm trying to, to tell you right now? There are people who live in false guilt all their lives because they feel like they're the ones that did it, created. Well, maybe you did have a part in it. Are you with me? Maybe that murderer did have a part in it. They're responsible. They'll be accountable to God for what they did. But you need to understand that it was criminals that nailed Jesus to a cross. Are you with me right now? It, I'm going to tell you, it was evil men that did that. Because he was without sin. Oh, but pastor, they were the Roman soldiers. So what? Still evil men. That crucified him on that cross. But the Bible said God crushed him. God crushed him. You've got to see it from God's viewpoint. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what you've lost. I don't know what's been separated from you that makes you troubled and agitated today. But I'm telling you, I serve a God that is in complete control of every event in history. And you could call it an accident from human point, but God is in control. You can say they murdered him, yes, and they'll be accountable for that. But God was in control. Come on. You can ask why were those five young men taken out so brutally and so horribly when they were just starting their ministry? God used death as the door to allow them to come into glory. Give God some praise. And as a result of that, we've got pagan, heathen tribes that are coming into at least what they know about Jesus and walking what they know about Jesus as a result of that. Now, I don't know about you, but how are you going to judge them? You might say, but they weren't baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. How do you know that? Yes. Number one, how do you know that? Number two, if they weren't, they paid the ultimate price for Christ. And how are you going to say that what those, those Indians said, I guess they were Indians, what they said, they saw the angels and they saw the choir as that event was taking place. Come on, how are you going to deny that? How are you going to deny a testimony like that? Give God some praise. See, you might say, but that was horrible. That was a terrible thing, maybe from human eyes, but not from God's viewpoint. Come on, into the spirit. Somebody might say, well, that little baby died before it ever even got to live. Can I tell you, it fulfilled its purpose. Because life is not, listen, life is not measured by longevity. Life is measured by contribution. And you don't have to live till you're 95 to fulfill your purpose. Jesus lived to be 33. And you would think, man, why didn't he live to 53? Only 33. And then he was cut off. You know why? Because he fulfilled his purpose and mission in life. Longevity is not what we're always after. It's productivity when God gets through with you. And he gets through with me. It might be today. He's done with me and he says, come on home. Ooh, don't cry for me. Yeah, you can grieve. Uh, you know, y'all going to grieve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and grieve if you need to cry. I don't know why you'd cry over me, but... You need to cry. Go ahead and cry. But then start celebrating. Hallelujah. Don't say, oh, poor pastor. He died so young. His ministry was just starting. No, his ministry, he needed to die. Hallelujah. He needed to die. Praise God. God took him home. God was done with him. And now he's entered into his eternal reward and rest. Thank you, Jesus. You get the point? See, you're looking at everything from the viewpoint of humanity. They should have lived to 80. 
Why do you think God needs to populate his heaven with old people? Come on. Why does it have to be all old people? Why can't it be some little children? Why can't it be some, some, some middle-aged men? Come on, somebody. Give God praise today. God, in the name of Jesus. See, we, we think about life and longevity. That's the way humanity looks at it. But God is in control of my hour. He's in control of the very moment that I'm supposed to die. If it's 33, and I'll be on 33, but Jesus is 33 or thereabouts. And it's time for him to die. It's time for him to die. And his hour has come. And he could not die until his hour had come. Because he said many times, my hour hath not yet come. So I'm trying to help y'all with some heavy stuff here. Are you with me? Let's see. So how many of y'all want to go to Father's house? Well, well, well Pastor, maybe one of my family members died, and I don't think they knew God. Well, praise the Lord. God is still in control. He's sovereign, man. And he's a perfect, just God. Whatever he's going to do is going to be right. You don't have to worry about it, my friend. You will be in agreement with Father. With whatever decision he makes, you know it was right. It wasn't a mistake. You call it an accident. You call it a mistake, but not in God's eyes. What are those five missionaries? What if? If only they had not got on that plane and gone over there. If only. And all these if onlys. No. God was in control of it. I don't, know if you, I don't know about you, but I saw that movie, and I saw that little boy, Steve Saint, run after the plane. As his father lifts up into the clouds to go and minister to murderous, brutal men. That little boy running behind, Steve Saint running behind his father in that plane. He'd never see his dad alive again. Now, I mean, I saw that, and I just sat there and I cried, man. I just, Understand, you're a little boy. And I thought about Jeremiah. You know, if I if I were to die, you know, little, little Jeremiah running behind. If that if that would have been me, he'd been running behind my little son. You know, but you know what? God is in control of everything. He's so wonderful. He's so glorious. You just have to see it from God's side. You have to understand. I don't understand everything, every event that takes place in my life. In your life, in your, your experience, your walk with God, your disappointments, I, don't, I can't explain them. But someday, it's all going to be understood. You're going to have perfect peace and perfect satisfaction. Because you're going to see everything from God's perspective. Some of us say, well, how can I enjoy Father's house if I know my, my, my brother or my mother or my sister are in hell today? How can I enjoy Father's house? Because you're going to be able to see everything from God's perspective. And it may be that he, he removes your memory about that. I don't know. But even if he doesn't, you're going to still be able to see it from his divine perspective. Do you get the point? So disciples, you need to see this from God's perspective. What I'm going to do, what I'm going to experience, I'm going to die. I'm going to be separated from you. You're going to feel lost and you're going to feel lonely and you're going to feel troubled on the inside. He said, but you need to understand there's hope beyond the veil. Give God some praise. And I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, eloquent this morning. I'm just being real with you. And I'm telling you, this is the truth. And this is the way you and I need to see it. 
Now, let me just throw this in on you because now this might bother you. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't. But you know what? Have you ever, you don't ever pray to the dead. You don't ever talk to the dead. You don't talk to grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, sister, brother. You don't talk to the dead. You don't do that. No, never do that. But I wonder if you could talk to Jesus about somebody that you love. I don't know if, if he would do it or not. I know you can pray to him. I know you can do that. And I don't know if he'd do it or not, but maybe you could say, Jesus, would you just tell Brother Dice I love you? Would you tell him right now, I'm preaching the word of God. Brother, would you tell Brother Dice right now for me? That I'm still in the kingdom. I'm still preaching. I'm still serving you, Lord. Would, would you get a message to him now from me? And it is very possible that God would hear that prayer. Because see, we're just, there's just a, a, an other side. It's just a thin veil, a thin curtain. And just beyond that, there is life greater than you and I live right here. A reality much greater than where we are right now. So if I could communicate with him who is there, it is possible that he just might get a message to somebody that I love there. Hallelujah. Now I'm not going to talk to the dead and ask them to go to Jesus for me. But I can talk to God and maybe he will go to them for me. Hallelujah. I don't know. And you know, I got a question for you. What would heaven be like if old blue, my blue healer that was poisoned, if old blue, if old blue wasn't there, what would heaven be like? Well, pastor, you're getting off now, aren't you? No, I believe there are going to be animals in heaven. Man, come on, somebody. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't know. and I, I don't want to cross the line here. But maybe when I get in heaven, I see old blue. Come on. You got a dog that died. You love sugar. I don't know. Maybe she, I don't, can't tell you for sure, sister. Praise God. But my God is so wonderful. He's so wonderful. Hallelujah. 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 You know, because uh, they don't have to be housebroken there. They don't even have to live in Father's house. They can roam beautiful paradise because it's going to be, if you think Father's house is huge, can you imagine that, you know, the house located in the heaven, how huge that paradise is? This will be populated, I believe, with all kinds of beautiful, not just trees and, and flowers, but I believe animals. Man, come on. Why would God blot out every animal in this earth and not let us experience it over there? Man, I want to walk with a lion. I want to walk with a lion. Now you're saying, well, that, you're moving in the kingdom, the kingdom age. Well, if they're in the kingdom age, why aren't they in the eternal? I can tell you this one thing. The Bible says there's seraphim and there's caravan that are there. It describes the way they look. And they got the face of a lion, the face of an eagle, and the face of an ox, and the face of a man. And each one of them. Those four have four of those faces, and they are teaching you about God. Are you here right now? What I'm trying to say? So I don't know. I just believe there's going to be some kind of animal creation. Now, don't walk out of here and say, Pastor, crazy. <laughs> Let's give you a possibility. Thank God. See, I'm looking forward to a time when I ain't insane anymore. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, but his Father's house. What a time it's going to be. Total satisfaction. Your relationship's expanded, not diminished. But yet you'll still be able to say, that was my wife on the earth. That was my son, my daughter. You understand? That's why we have to make it. That's why you have to prepare now. You've got to be sure you're there. Somebody said, I don't want to go to heaven. Because how could I go to heaven and enjoy a God that sends people to hell? How silly can you get? You understand? Looks never say Father's house. I can't wait to get there. And your technology, modern technology is, you know, so advanced now. And you're going to try to make everybody live to be 200 years old. But when it's time for them to be called, you need to let them go. My goodness. If I die, please don't ask God to send me back here. Brother Daniel, I'll, when I get back, I'll beat you up. <laughs> Just let me go, man. You see me, I don't know, man, hallelujah. don't know the future, I don't know the future. But if some of y'all are still hanging around when I'm whatever, I don't know how old I'll be. When I get old, if I get old, and I'm on my deathbed, and you're still young, Oh, God, would you raise? No, no. <laughs> Just say, Lord, take him. Hallelujah. <laughs> you got to be ready. I've got to be ready. There's a, there's a man there by the name of Edmund Dice. I got to see. If, if Brother uh, Edmonds passes away before I do, you know, we talk about this back and forth. I said, Brother Edmonds, if I pass away before you do, I want you to do my funeral. You know, so y'all know. <laughs> and... Um, he says, well, Pastor, Brother Carter, if, if I pass away before you do, you do my funeral. I said, I'm not qualified to do yours. I can't wash your feet, man. But you know what? If he passes away before I do, there's going to be a reunion in heaven, man. I'm going to see him. Give God some praise. And not only that, but what about the souls you won to Jesus that came into the kingdom of God? As a result of your testimony, your spiritual sons and your spiritual daughters that you labored for, when they get what a reunion that's going to be. Oh, God. Maybe Sister Jolene, as soon as you go there, here comes your father. He meets you right there. There he is. You see him. I don't know, praise God. But God is an awesome God. Maybe your grandfather. Beautiful, isn't it? So here we are with our modern day technology just trying to make everybody live to be a, uh, 200 years old. And God said you need to see death as a key. A little girl, a child died. The father took the key out of the hand of the man who operated the what do you call that? No. That does the, the funeral services. Mortuary. Took the hand of the funeral director. Said, I got to see my child one more time before they bury him. Unlocked the casket. 
and he looked one last time into that casket and saw the child just before they were going to lower it down. The father reached over there and gave the key back to the funeral director. The funeral director says, I'm not the only one with a key. Jesus has a key. He's got the key of David. No man can open but him, and no man can shut but him. I can't shut the door, nor can you. And I can't open the door, nor can you. Jesus has got the key. Give God some praise. He's the one that's going to open the door. He's going to come and get us. Himself. He said, himself. Now watch this. Verse 3, he said, if, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. What would heaven be like without the Father, without Jesus? It wouldn't be heaven. Jesus makes heaven heaven. And I understand that when you get there, you're probably one of the going to want to explore the house. You're going to want to explore maybe your 14-mile square apartment and check out what Jesus furnished it with. You know what I'm saying? You're going to be excited about all that that's going on. You're going to be excited about seeing people, but you know what? Ultimately, Jesus is the one. He, he makes heaven heaven. You're going to be separated right now, but it's not going to be forever, Jesus said. So I'm going to come and you with my spirit, but then I'm going to come and get you, and I'm going to take you to be with me. So wherever he is, you want to debate me on this literal thing, I will say this, that wherever he is, whatever that might be, is where I'm going to be. And that's where you're going to be. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The sixth I am of Jesus in John is right here. Now, you need to understand it. Between John 13 and John 17, the word Father is used 53 times. But he wants you to know who Father is, and it's him. You understand? This is the sixth I am of Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Give God praise. You can't get there. You can't go there if he's not the forerunner. If he doesn't prepare it, if he don't make a way for you, you will never be there. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Watch this. Have you ever thought about it? Heaven, Father's house is a totally new thing. Because man was created on this earth, and this earth was to be his house. God, though, is going to do a new thing. He's going to come and get man whose house is on the earth and bring them into a heavenly house. It's a brand new thing he's going to do. Now men are going to move in to heaven. They're going to leave their earthly home and move into heaven. It's going to be something brand new. Something brand new. But I told you it was prepared before the foundation of the world because Enoch was walking with God one day. You right. remember Enoch? The Bible, y'all, y'all know Enoch, right? He's in the Bible, yeah. And the Bible says Enoch walked with God. 
And he was not because God took him. That means he was not on this earth anymore. God took him to the other side. Amen. And you know why God, you know, a little girl said it this way. A little girl said, you know why Enoch, why, why what happened to Enoch happened to Enoch? He said one day Enoch was just walking with God, as the Bible says. And they were just walking and walking and walking and walking. Time was running out. Enoch wanted to go back to his house. And the father said, no, we're closer to mine than yours. So come on in to my house. And he was translated. He was carried to the other side. And he entered into father's house. I, I, watched, I watched, me and my wife watched a beautiful, beautiful presentation. The show was called Tilly. It was written by Frank Peretti. I remember long ago I got Frank Peretti's book and I began to read it called Tilly. And very quickly I, did, I recognized that he was talking about children that had been aborted. They made a movie out of this, this book called Tilly, Frank Peretti. And they're using it as a great tool to reach out to uh, uh, unwed pregnant pregnant mothers or pregnant mothers that have unexpected pregnancies. And we saw that show uh, Friday night and we just cried because Frank Peretti just shows in that, in that book and in that movie that little girl that was aborted by that mother. Come on, come on, running in the paradise of God. Come on, are you with me today? And, and the message was clear. Don't abort your children. Praise God. But there's hope. And she saw herself in dream running with her little girl in heaven. Come on. Reunited with her da daughter again. And at the end of it, she was able to lay down her rose there on that, on that tombstone. It's beautiful. And we, you know, my goodness. I'm sitting by my children and my wife. I'm fighting back the tears. You know, we macho men. Huh? Can't let them see me cry like, you know. I, listen, man, I'm more emotional than they are. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll sit there, I'll cry, man. I'll bawl like a baby. I look over there and they just tough. <laughs> My little girl looks at me and says, Now, Daddy, don't cry. She said, Because you start crying, I'm going to start crying. And that made me cry more. <laughs> you know. Hallelujah. Y'all haven't seen that. You, you ought to get that. You ought to watch that. It's beautiful, beautiful. Real beautiful movie. Amen. Thank God. This, God just said, come on, Enoch. We're closer to my house than you are to yours. See, you need to understand something. You look at somebody that maybe they're in a, in a position in their life where they're close to death and you know it. You need to look at it and say, saying, they're so close to death. You need to see they've been living in heaven for a long time. They haven't gone there yet, but in the spirit They've been living in heaven for a long time. Haven't died. They're fixing to make that. Go through that curtain. Go through that door. Come on. Are you understand what I'm trying to show you here? See, we look at everything in the, in the light of this present world. You know Michael Landon? I believe he died of cancer. In his deathbed, right before he died, he said, his testimony was, I see a beautiful light. Beautiful light. Now, I'm not telling you that that light cannot, that the enemy can't mimic that light and it turn into something else on the way. 
But I'm telling you, he saw a beautiful light and the peace of God came upon him before he died. That was his testimony. Are you with me today? Come on, man. Oh, they're, they're, look at him. Mm. No, maybe they're closer to heaven. Really? That's the way you need to look at it. Amen. It's an, a wonderful thing. Why we fight so hard not to go there? Tell you, most people today are so focused on this earth. Too focused. We're too focused on this earth. We look at this world as our heaven. We look at the houses. We're paying mortgages on it, insurance and all this stuff, man. Upkeep, maintenance, and this is it. No, this isn't it. This is misery in comparison. Misery. Let me share something with you. Paul talked about it. He said, I'm on it. He talked about death in the light. He said, I'm a tent. I'm living in a tent. He said, but there's going to come a time when that tent's going to break down. You know, and you're in a tent, my friend. And you're experiencing the storms of this life. And the, the snow comes on the tent. We all, we all, I love to camp. We all want to go out and camp for the rest of our life. But you can only camp until the snow starts coming. You can only camp till all the wind starts taking your tent down. You can't, you can't camp forever. So Paul talks about his body. Second Corinthians chapter 5 talks about his body being like a tent. He said it's going to be dismantled. It's just going to get wore out. Wore out, you know. Beaten by the storms. Going to be dismantled. But he said, I'm going. He said, I've got a house in the heavens. It's a permanent place. Nobody can take it once I get there. It's not a temporary tent. It's a permanent residence. That's what Paul said. He said, that's where I'm going. So break down the tent, man. Break down the tent. In closing, y'all getting tired of listening about heaven? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, because he is the Father. Amen. By his prepared work, we get there. He's the way there. Now watch this. Isaiah, I don't have time to go to Isaiah chapter 40. But if you look at John chapter 1. He said in verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. He said, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So now John the Baptist comes along, and he's in the wilderness. But he's making straight, the scripture says, the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah sees the people on a journey through a wilderness on their way home. On their way to the Jerusalem of God. John the Baptist, here he is. He comes out of a wilderness to prepare. What? To make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah. He said, I've got to show you how to get through the wilderness. I've got to show you how to make it to the Jerusalem of God. You're in a wilderness. That's why he's coming out of a wilderness. But it wasn't just a physical wilderness. It was a spiritual wilderness. It was a political wilderness. It was a moral wilderness. That he was moving in. But he said, let me show you the way through this. 
immoral wilderness, this spiritual desolate place. He said, I want to show you how to get out of the howling wilderness and to make it back to the paradise of God. I've got to show you how to get out of this dry place and make it back to the paradise of God. Jesus said, now we know, we know the way through that wilderness to the Jerusalem of God, the house of God. And that is Jesus. I am. He is the I am that I am. He is God. He is the Father. And by his work in sonship, he prepared the way and prepared the place. Give God some praise. Now, I wish I had time, but you know what? John the Baptist comes along. He says, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He said, you're a bunch of vipers. Who hath warned you? He warned them of the fiery wrath of God. Come on, this ain't no game, my friend. You got to make sure you get right with God if you're ever going to be there. You can't play games with this stuff, my friend. Come on, there's people living in the wilderness. There's serpents in the wilderness. The Bible said uh, he lived among the wild beasts because he's going to deal with beasts. In the mighty name of Jesus. Oh, give God a hand clap of praise. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Amen. Verse 18. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. See? I'm going to die. I'm going to leave my children. I'm going to leave them right here. He said, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. He said, I'm going to come. We will come and make our abode, our dwelling place in you. So he tells us that he is the way. He's the one that prepared it. Come on. Then he tells us how to get there. He's the way, the truth, and life. And then he tells us that in the meantime, he's going to dwell in us. And this is a beautiful thing. He's not going to leave us as orphans. He is my father. He's Abba. Yet a little while, the world seeth me no more. But you see me because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in my father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In closing, my question to you is this. Are you prepared? Jesus said, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God except you be born again. You have to be born from above if you're going to go above. You have to have heaven in you. That's why he's saying, I'm going to come inside of you. You got to get the spirit of the Father in you if you're going to live with the Father. You got to have heaven in you if you're going to go to heaven. See, there's not going to be anybody in heaven that don't have heaven in them. And there's not going to be anybody in hell that doesn't have hell in them. Are you joined to Father? Have you been born again? Have you been regenerated? Do you have the nature of Him? If you do, you got a beautiful, beautiful house. That you're on your way to we call it heaven because it's in the domain of heaven that's where it is let's stand father i give you praise today i give you worship today
I thank you, God, for your great mercy and grace and power. Thank you for this glorious hope and promise. If there's anybody here right now, God, that is not ready to meet you. They're not born again yet. They can't call you Father except by the Spirit. I pray for them, God, that you would open their eyes for their need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The name of Jesus for the remission of all their sins. That they would be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. They would begin to speak the language of heaven. Do you talk the language of heaven this morning? Do you speak the language of heaven this morning? God wants to fill you with His Spirit. And Father, I pray for them now. Open their eyes and their understanding. We thank you, God, for the glorious, glorious promise. He said, if it were not so, you would have told us. You made an oath that it's a reality. It is a reality. I take you at your word. You use the literal to illustrate the spiritual. I thank you, God, for it. We believe it to be a reality, Father God. If it were so, you would have told us. We thank you today, Lord Jesus, because you don't need anybody to support what you said because you are God. And I praise you today for this glorious hope. No matter what we might face in this life, no matter how we might be troubled by loss or by separation, mighty God, we give you praise today for this glorious promise that you've given us and your disciples. Lord, we know that their world is about to fall apart. At times ours are doing the same. But we rest in the assurance and the hope of a glorious future that you have prepared for us. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens where we will worship you and serve you throughout eternity. Lord, let us do this faithfully now in this life. Follow you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. We give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. I want to tell you, I can understand if you don't know where the person went, that you're like David. He said, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would to God I died for you. Absalom, my son, my son. He didn't know where he went. But he knew that little baby, where that little baby went. And he got up and he washed his face. He was lifted up and encouraged. So today, be sure where you're going. Be sure where your children are going, where your family is going. Because you want to spend eternity with them in the Father's house forever and ever. You have any idea how long eternity is? Long time. Eternal bliss or eternal grief. You know what I thought to myself yesterday? I said, I've got to be sure. I said, I can't play with this. I've got to be absolutely sure that I'm ready to meet God. And you need to be also, because a lot of people live in a false insecurity. They think, man, I'm on my way. Well, you see that light, and all of a sudden it turns into fire. Satan mimicked 
what was of God. You, we have got to, and I'm going to use a word strongly, you better make sure that nothing comes between you and God in this life. No grief, no heartache, no loss, no separation. The good news is this. Nothing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And one of them is death. If you look at your scripture, death is, is one of the gifts that God gives you. He has freely given you all things, the Bible says. And one of those things that He has freely given you, He lists them. One of them is death. It is a, can you imagine living in this world forever and ever and ever in the miserable condition that we're in? Thank God that God, when Adam sinned, that he didn't let him eat of the tree of life and live forever in that condition. That God gave death to Adam as a gift so that he would not have to live forever in a miserable state move from this house to the house in heaven if you ever think about that death's a gift I love you you're dismissed in Jesus name